the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future, invest in growth. Visit investingunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to episode 92 of Magic Markets and true to form, Mo is back in Canada. His flight is not even a distant memory and load shedding is back in South Africa. We were joking about it just before you went home, Mo, how you're looking forward to getting back to electricity and here we are. So, you know, nothing if not consistent, huh? Yeah, Ghost, always a pleasure doing this with you. And uh, look, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rest on my laurels because we know from previous experience that I might have electricity, but my internet is rather patchy up here in Canada. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's just fingers crossed. Let's kick off with today's episode. Really excited, guys. I mean, we, we've got Craig and Tony from Anbro Capital back with us. And the reason I'm always excited to speak to the guys from Anbro is that we get to unpack some really interesting ideas. I mean, they're really quite generous in terms of their time. They share that with us, but they also share some of their more interesting ideas that are out there. So I'm not gonna steal Craig's thunder. You know, I'm gonna welcome Craig on the show and he's gonna tell us about stocks that I didn't even hear about today. So Craig, welcome back to Magic Markets. Thanks guys, thanks. Good morning, Mo, good afternoon, Ghost. I'm happy to be here again and um, I hope everything's going well your side. Yeah, all good. Thanks for getting the time zones right there, because indeed it is uh, it is morning for me. So, Craig, you know, we've had you guys, uh, you and Justin on a few times now, and we always have such cool chats about some of the stocks in the portfolio and just the way you think about the broader market, that your investment approach. I mean, I would certainly encourage listeners, you know, go back through the Magic Markets archives, go on the website or search on the podcast player of your choice for, you know, the other episodes with the team from Anbro. But something about Unicorn which I don't think enough people realize is it's not actually just a tech fund. It's very much got a growth focus and it certainly has a number of other elements to the investment sort of approach that you've highlighted many times before, you know, strong founder influences, et cetera, et cetera. But I think one of the stocks we're going to talk about today is not tech based at all, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as we've sort of highlighted in the, in the past guys, you know, some of the, the things we look for when we look at, at companies that we want to invest in. And, you know, you kind of alluded to it, Ghost, but it, we, it's a checklist that we kind of follow, you know. So the first thing we want to see is skin in the game, you know. So we're looking for founders that are involved, that have a large and well, a large enough shareholding so that it actually matters to them in the businesses that they run and that they started. We obviously want companies that have a good runway for growth, that have a nice total addressable market um, that have a very strong balance sheet and preferably 
you know, companies that are also free cash flow positive or even profit making in the in the real sense of the word. And every now and again, you also come across one which fills all those um, boxes or ticks all those boxes and even pays a dividend too. And, um, you know, the one we're going to speak about today certainly falls into, into that category and that really checks all those boxes. And as you rightly alluded to a little earlier, Ghost, this is not a tech stock. So for people that are that are interested in things like private equity and alternative asset management, you know this one might perk your interest. The company that you know we invest in and, and have in the in the fund is a company called Patria Investments. Now Patria Investments is listed in the U.S., but it is a alternative asset manager that's really operates primarily out of Latin America, and um, we often like to call it here at Anbro, and I suppose it's pretty well known in the markets um, as a whole as the Blackstone of South America or Latin. Yeah, Craig, I mean, something interesting, I was, I was looking at Patria just before we went on to this because, you know, we were chatting and I found it interesting because Blackstone's actually one of the investors in this group. So, you know, it, 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 it's nice to maybe see some of that congruency that a big group like Blackstone sees perhaps some sort of strategic imperative in having a shareholding in, in Patria. Latam is, is one of those very exciting spaces because they've got a, a, a demographic dividend. You know, they've got higher growth, so it's emerging markets. It benefits in that it's also emerging markets in a North American time zone. And, and why do I say that is certainly being up here in Canada, I've noticed how when you're speaking to fund managers here, you're speaking to institutional asset managers, they like to kind of trade in their respective time zones. So for example, they're more likely to look at a LATAM player than they would, for example, someone sitting in Turkey or South African time zone, or maybe even East Asia, unless they're obviously running a, a much broader portfolio. It's just that familiarity, I guess. It's closer to home, even though it's fundamentally a completely different market. So I think it was very interesting for me to see Blackstone there, but then also maybe unpacking that because who are the big players in this space? If you're looking at the larger cap companies, I mean, Patria's small. That's why it falls below the radar. I think it's got like around a $2 billion market cap compared to a Blackstone or Carlyle Group who are really big giants in that space, whether that's asset management or alternative space. So maybe just outline for us how Patria fell onto your radar because that always fascinates me as well. How do you find some of these gems in a universe that's really that large? Sure. Well, you know, this one is a, is a particularly interesting story. And, and I think a lot of listeners that have, you know, heard us on the show a couple of times now have sort of come to, I guess, associate us with our unicorn portfolio and our unicorn fund, which is a growth orientated portfolio specifically. Now, we also do manage other types of portfolios in that ad, Anbro. And it's nothing we've really spoken too much about on the show, but you know, one of those that or those portfolios that do garner a lot of attention from our clients is one that's a little bit less concern or rather less aggressive than the unicorn portfolio. And this is one for customers that are looking for um, you know, companies that have sticky income, high dividend yields, you know, less volatile earnings streams and earnings flows and, and share prices. And this one actually came across our um, our books as as we were doing research for our high dividend yield portfolio and our high income portfolio, and you know the the research we get from you know vast sources all across the the US you know often you know throws a lot of stuff our way and every now and again we come across something that's a little bit different and a little bit interesting and this one certainly you know ticks those boxes. Now to your point earlier Mo, about the you know the competitive nature of the market, the size of the peers, etc. You're 100% right. I mean, when one looks at alternative asset management, 
and the allocation of alternative assets to the portfolios of large institutions, that's been growing significantly over the last sort of 10, 20 years or so. And with that, there's obviously created a lot of demand for those types of assets. And, you know, that demand often gets filled by, you know, companies that are looking to provide a service that, um, you know, that really meets the, the demands or expectations for that, for that demand. Now, if one looks at um, the allocation to alternative asset managers in portfolios, it really was around about 5% of portfolio allocation around 2000. It's sitting closer now to 25% um, as we sort of tapping into you know, the, the middle or near the end of 2022. And most of that action, for lack of a better word, tends to stay focused around either the states or you know, first world markets as a whole. And clearly, those markets are, for lack of a better word, I don't want to say saturated because, I mean, they're massive, but they're well covered and well understood. And it's often, you know, the next sort of level down that you can go where you can start finding something a little bit interesting. Now, what intrigued us about Patra is they're not a new kid on the block. I mean, they've actually been in existence for three decades. You know, so they've been around. And, you know, they were initially started as a partnership, if you like, or an association with Solomon Brothers, which is, a you know, a U.S. investment bank from, from yesteryear. Then, you know, that was a private equity business that was created. They then stepped it up a little bit, and that happened around 1988, actually. And in 1994, they then created an investment banking business as well. That was subsequently sold off um, to Chase Manhattan in, I think it was 1999. And then they started focusing predominantly on private equity. So what you have now is an interesting business. It's a private equity company with three decades of experience in Latin. As you said earlier, Mo, there's an association with Blackstone, where Blackstone are currently um, the largest institutional shareholder in the business. At last check, it was about 14% stake in, in the business that they held. Now, this is an interesting one because, you know, we often reach out to management when we invest in companies and when we're looking to invest in companies. And oftentimes, you know, you don't often get, you know, any time with them or you don't get the lights of day, particularly if you're a small um, asset manager, you know, from the UK or, you know, someone with South African roots and you're trying to chat to someone in the US, it's a multi-billion dollar market cap. But with this one, I was pleasantly surprised. I've had several conversations with the management team. They're humble, they're open, they're easy to chat to, and, you know, they'll answer your questions if you have any. And they'll, if they can't answer them directly, they'll sort of point you in the right direction where you can find the answers yourselves. And I think that's important because, you know, they are a business that has a massive opportunity ahead of them that are trying to scale up. And clearly management is open to discussing, you know, anything with anyone when it comes to their business to try and create some, um, I guess, a bit of mojo behind the name. So there's a bit of no sort of knowledge of them out there. Mojo should be Mo's stage name, I think. <laughs> so, Craig, I was, uh, yeah, it's really interesting to hear you talk about alternative assets. I mean, uh, you know, Westbrook often joins us on Magic Markets. They're all about alternative assets, certainly something that's growing at pace. I was, uh, there's a lot of alternative assets in uh, South America that make it onto TV shows, but we won't, we won't go there. I have no doubt these are very different alternative assets. One of the property assets is gated communities, in case anyone was wondering how similar South Africa is to South America. So just an observation from my side, something I've heard people in the market talk about. You know, Pepcor recently did a big deal to buy a retailer in Brazil called Avenida. And 
you know, what South African retailers had been doing is going to the UK, going to, going to Australia and getting smacked, bluntly. I'm going to be very interested to see how Pepcor does in South America because in many ways, I've never traveled there myself, but I'm guessing that there are a lot more similarities between South Africa and an economy like Brazil than between South Africa and an economy like Australia, you know, <laughs> certainly. So from your perspective, looking at, at South America and LATAM, I guess it's a, it's a region that your, you know, South African heritage maybe helps you understand a little bit. It is an emerging market. And as you say, it's a case of digging a little bit below the sort of typical US companies and, and, and just finding those growth opportunities in other regions. Yeah, so guys, I just want to add something in here in that a lot of people might know this. I know this because I know I know Craig, but Craig's done some proper due diligence in South America. So he spent some proper time down in Latin. He knows that market. He knows what it's like to, to live and operate in that economy. And so that is why when Craig raised Patria to me as a Latin play, and if it was anyone else, I would have been like, what are you doing in Latin? You have no clue. Whereas with, with Craig and the guys from Anbro, both Craig and Justin, I know they have on the grounds, you know, deep down roots, driven experience. So Craig, tell us a little bit about that, because I think that's that's also an important dimension on this particular, in this particular context. Sure, we'll do. Well, you know, when we left South Africa originally, our first port of call was actually Panama. And uh, we spent, as you said, most some, some time in Panama, not only, you know, living there and, and relocating the families as such, but we're also trying to understand the asset management market and the investment markets there. And I mean, there was quite a lot that we that we garnered from in that space. And the one thing I think which became increasingly important, and it's true not just I would say for Panama or Latin, but it's probably true for most economies everywhere, is one's got to know and understand the lay of the land. And it's something that you alluded to a little earlier, Ghost, when you spoke about the Pepco acquisition, and and just retailers in general, how they kind of struggle when they go offshore, and you know, particularly in the UK or Australia, is. You know, oftentimes the way you do business in, in one place is, is not the same as the way business is done in another place. So, you know, you might have a great idea. You might be able to think, you know, you have something that you can easily replicate elsewhere. But without knowing the nuances on the ground, it's actually quite difficult. And that's where something like this business really stood out for me and, and for Justin as well. And the reason I say that is, you know, they have, as I said, a 30-year track record in this space. They've delivered an IRR of 15% per annum in US dollars over that 30-year period. So this is through market cycles, through volatile currencies. I mean, you know, the Brazilian sort of real and, and also, you know, Latin emerging market currencies, much like the South African one, is also pretty volatile, as we see with our czar. So these are guys that have experienced that in the in this market for, for many, many years. And they have a competitive positioning there. You know, they, they have feet on the ground. They have offices all over the world, which helps them attract funds into their various portfolio investments. And I think that's a key differentiator for the business. Now, they are a name that is known in the space. So, you know, so perhaps... You know, if, if you're dealing with a big alternative asset manager in the States and someone picks up the phone and says, you know, they're calling from Blackstone or Carlisle, you'll know who they are. And it's a very similar situation when it comes to Patria. The other thing I think that's probably worth mentioning is, you know, the clients that they deal with. So they operate across a whole variety of alternative asset management portfolios. As you can imagine, that includes things like private equity, um, infrastructure investments, real estate investments, credit, 
Um, they've recently done a deal where they bought into a venture capital platform, um, which is a business that's done almost, or, or rather, you know, even better than they have in a vent cap space in the Latin region over the last sort of decade and a half. And they've now taken a 40% stake in, in that company. So the, the optionality or the, the offering that they now can provide to their clients is, is continually expanding. And who are those clients? Now, I mean, you guys are going to be interested to hear this, but they have on their books six of the 10 biggest American pension funds as clients on their portfolio and six of the 10 biggest sovereign wealth funds as clients on their portfolio. Obviously, those are not just those clients. There's a whole bunch of other clients as well, but it gives you a sense of who they are managing money for and who it is that trusts them with their money, you know, in a space which, as you said, is, you know, perhaps considered a little bit like the Wild West for, you know, first world economies. But for people like us that understand how it works in the third world, you know, you see the opportunity set there and you want it to be done with the people that know what they're doing. I think that's such an important point, Craig, because, you know, those those big pension funds, uh, even the sovereign wealth funds, you know, they have a very strict due diligence process. So, you know, in terms of just understanding that, you know, this firm services them, has them as clients, gives me some degree of comfort as an investor in Patria, for example, to say, you know what, this is not just another. And again, certainly in the context right now, there's a, there's a big discussion happening in South Africa around potential gray listing and money laundering risks and so forth. So in this context, I think that's such a valuable point because investors not familiar with the name can maybe take some heart from the fact that these large pension funds will have done significant due diligence on a player like this. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for raising that because it certainly, you know, someone who wasn't familiar with the stock gives me some degree of comfort uh, and maybe a little less apprehension when I'm looking at a name that I'm, I'm maybe unfamiliar with in a space and a geography that I'm un- unfamiliar with. Well, I think there's a good opportunity there for Magic Markets listeners to also learn something cool. So, Craig, you've mentioned the 15% IRR in dollars. So, w- when you're looking at investments, you know, you would expect to see a South American business giving you a better IRR than, for example, a US-focused business. So it kind of comes down to the good old story of risk and return. And you would expect to put a risk premium on South American assets. So many times in Magic Markets Premium, we look at stuff that's got long-term KGARs of kind of 9%, 10% in dollars. And here we are sitting with something that's doing 15% in dollars. Now, it's a fair return for the risk, maybe slightly better than fair. But the reality is it's also another 500 basis points a year in your back pocket, you know, and one day when you retire, you don't sit there and go, oh, was that a fair risk weighted return? You sit there and wonder, you know, what you can afford with the money in your pocket. So the point is there are definitely opportunities in emerging markets. And yes, it's important to, you know, if this thing was only returning a 10% IRR, you wouldn't be excited about it because it's not actually then giving you a proper return for the risk. But at 15%, you compound that over an extended period and it is a humongous difference at the end of 10, 20, and especially 30 years, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think the other things that I think help us, helped us through the due diligence, as you said a little earlier, Mo, not just the, the sort of quality of clientele that they have, but also the fact that Blackstone is a considerable shareholder. Now, Blackstone is probably the largest alternative asset management company in the world. And they obviously hold themselves to a very high standard. Now, when speaking to management, I asked them about their relationship with Blackstone and you know, and whether that relationship also extended into the seeding of funds and you know the joint investment into various portfolios and things like that. 
and they were quite candid about it and said, you know, we've made a, a considerable effort to ensure that we are independent of Blackstone. So they are a significant shareholder in the business, and we have used that relationship to make sure that, you know, we cross all the T's and dot all the R's when it comes to things like our due diligence process, um, the way we run our business, our transparency, all that kind of thing. And, um, you know, when they listed, Blackstone was actually a larger shareholder. Blackstone was a 50% shareholder in the business. And they sold down to, you know, that 15 odd percent level and they sold their stake to partners in Patria. So essentially, that ticks another massive box for us as, you know, growth investors at Anbro and, and for our unicorn portfolio. Now, people may not know this, and I'm sure no one knows it because, you know, it's not a stock that people are generally familiar with, but management here actually own 63% of the company. Also, when they start a fund, they generally contribute 2 to 3% of the equity to the fund. So not only are they aligned in the big picture, the big holding company portfolio, if you like, they're also aligned with investors in the actual investments that they make and the, and the, and the strategies that they run. You know, so there's a massive amount of alignment here. The other thing I think worth mentioning is, you know, when it comes to, you know, how these guys make money. Now, alternative asset managers generally make their money through what we refer to as FRE. And FRE, you know, for people that don't understand the, the name, or, or rather the acronym, is, um, is fee-related earnings or fee-related income, if you like, for another word. And then that is really the cash that is generated or earned or the, man- or, or the management fees that they generate or earn on the funds that they manage. Now, one way, you know, you can value a company like this is obviously look at those earnings and, you know, and look at the earnings multiple based on that. And this company is growing that FRE figure rapidly. I mean, this year, it looks as if they're on track to grow that number by 68-odd percent. And it puts them on a PE, if you like, of around about 15.9 or so at that current share prices, which is in itself not you know necessarily dirt cheap. But if you look at the, the massive runway ahead of them, we see the optionality as considerable. Now, their total assets under management right now is about $25 billion which is not insignificant, but it's tiny. If you look at the overall picture and, and just something like a Blackstone, for example, I mean, Blackstone's assets under management is about $750 billion. So it's not saying that, you know, they're ever going to be as big as Blackstone, but it gives you a sense of the potential out there, you know, for the AUM to grow, particularly with the clients, with the client list that they deal with. Now, if one then looks also at, you know, the valuation of, um, of Blackstone, I mean, Blackstone trading at the moment at around about, I think it's 40 times FRE, you know, so yes, they're not the same animal and I, and I want to make sure that, you know, we all understand that, but you're looking at a business that is growing at a considerable clip, trading at 15 times earnings versus, you know, the giants of, of, of the industry, which is also growing fast by, you know, by their standards and by their scale, but trading at something like three times the valuation. So, you know, not only is the opportunity set significant, the, the price is reasonable, the client list is right, um, there's a lot of skin in the game by management or from management, and also another box we like to tick is debt. Um, there's no debt on the balance sheet either. That makes me excited. I can, you can see already, like, that just gets him so stoked. <laughs> 
Uh, you, 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 I knew you was going to throw that one in, Craig. I, I just I want to sneak in one additional question here because I want to understand the underlying risks in the business. So with Patria, right, if, if you look at the underlying portfolio, I understand it's unlisted, it's alternative assets. I see that they have representative offices pretty much all over the world, right? But what does the underlying nature of their portfolio look like? So are you still exposed heavily just to LATAM or are they exploring investments in other geographies as well? Because I think that's very important to understand the risks to some of those underlying earnings that you just mentioned just now. Sure. Well, on the the portfolio assets, I mean, they, they generally are focused in Latin, and and I think they will be for the time being. You know, when pressed on this issue, you know, during the chat with the management, the answer they gave was they literally think that Latin America is considerably underpenetrated when one looks at the alternative asset management space. So where you have, you know, a lot of money chasing a lot of assets in the first world space, in you know, emerging markets and, and in their world, LATAM, there is um, you know, considerable opportunity to grow before you know, they even reach scale. And once they've reached scale, then they've, and you know, the CEO pretty much said that they don't even know when that will be, to be quite honest, but they might then look outside of LATAM. And they pointed to, you know, emerging Asia, perhaps emerging Africa, those sorts of those sorts of places. But emerging market seems to be the niche that they want to play in. The other thing I think worth mentioning is there's another way that alternative asset managers make money, and that is through performance fees. You know, so we ignore performance fees in our valuation for Patria because those kind of things are lumpy. You know, when performance fees come and go, you know, you could have a considerable amount of performance fees realized in a, in a certain year and hardly any the next year. So, you know, we strip that out of the of the earnings multiple and the earnings valuation. We see that more as cream as opposed to steady state earnings that we can rely our valuation on. And, you know, there is a considerable amount of unrealized performance fees, you know, sitting on this balance sheet as well. And when I say considerable, it's it's probably 10 or 20% of the current share price. So, you know, that at some point is also, you know, additional cream that will be used to either provide a capital return to, to shareholders or potentially be reinvested in assets um, and portfolio opportunities as they come along. So I think, you know, the business is one where you do have the risks that are associated with investing in emerging markets for sure. That risk, I think, is not something that we'll ever ignore or be, you know, constantly aware of. And I think the the thing is that is obviously reflected then in the position sizing, you know, that you'll have in a in a business like this and in an investment like this. Obviously, as the company grows and scales, and there's various ways that they're growing. I mean, there's organic growth, and there's also mergers and acquisitions that they're doing. You know, so they are looking outside of say Brazil into countries like Mexico, um, perhaps Colombia. And places like that, and they're saying, you know, if we find another asset manager which is in uh, operating in a niche which we're not operating in, and it makes sense to combine the businesses, we'll do that. That then adds another vertical or some more optionality, you know, to the earning stream which they can then cross sell across their client base um, and provide for more geographical um, diversification outside of, say, purely Brazil. So Craig, this is super interesting and it actually shows how versatile, firstly, you guys are as a team, but also the portfolio. You know, it is more than tech, as we said at the start of the show. And I think, you know, just to finish off this episode of Magic Markets, something I would like to understand is from an investment strategy perspective, do you guys have some sort of 
you know, allocation to non-tech in your mind? Do you go, you know, X percent of the portfolio needs to sit outside of the tech sector or do you rather just react to the opportunities you see and then try and size them accordingly based on those look-through risks? Like, for example, LATAM. You know, there's a very big difference in taking a non-tech company in LATAM versus Europe. You've got more to think about than just, hey, is this a tech company? So maybe just a couple of minutes on how you think about portfolio management in that context. Sure. Well, you know, I think generally the, the Anbro Unicorn portfolio is a growth portfolio. You know, so we are in this particular portfolio looking for the best of breed growth companies we can find. Now, oftentimes they do tend to fall in the tech space because, you know, there's a lot of action happening in that space. These companies are redefining the world as we know it. And, you know, in, in many cases, creating markets that have never been created before or that are nascent and um, are small relative to the opportunity sets out there. But, you know, there also are other companies that operate in the more sort of generic vanilla sort of economy, if you like, which can provide some, you know, wonderful opportunity and growth. And and so we're not, um, you know, married to tech per se. You know, we're agnostic to, you know, to sectors. We're looking really at a company-specific level and where we can see the opportunity present itself. Now, you know, for guys that are interested, you know, the, the unicorn portfolio has about a 13% weight to financials. Um, financials would include something like Patria, also includes other company like um, Kinsale Capital, which is a specialty a specialty insurance business, you know that operates out of the states and that's been growing really fast. And also another company called Walker and Dunlop, you know, which is um in the in the mortgage business and um, private equity to a, to a slightly lesser degree. You know, so there's not just tech stocks in there. You know, these are we you know we look to invest in companies where we see you know the the risk reward tilted in our favour. And also, you know, with an investment like Patriot also, I guess, demonstrates that we're not purely in the U.S. either. You know, we're open to looking for opportunities no matter where they are and, um, and no matter what sector or, or, or space in the economy that they're operating. Yeah, Craig, I think, I think that's great. And unfortunately, as always, we kind of run out of time, but I think that's all we have time for today. Uh, I just want to thank you again from, from Magic Market side on behalf of our listeners, uh, you know, we really appreciate your time and also the fact that you're willing to put some of these ideas on the table. I mean, we've had uh, some phenomenal discussions, not just with you, with Justin as well, where we discussed Dexcom, for example, a couple of very interesting names that came through, Hanger. Uh, we had that on our last show. So for those of you that maybe missed the previous shows with Anbro, go and have a look at that, where we have discussed not just the philosophy and the thinking around running some of these portfolios, but also some real actionable ideas and why those ideas maybe find their way into the portfolio and how those evolve. I think that's such an important element to understand how Anbro fits in with operationalizing and executing on your ethos, on your investment strategy. So Craig, I just want to thank you from our side. I, I found this fascinating. You know, I'm going to go and have a look at Patria myself just to try and learn a lot more about that market. It's, it's something that wasn't on my radar. And that's what I really like. And what I get out of these discussions is it stretches my mind. It stretches my thinking to our listeners. We hope it does the same for you. Uh, and Ghost, you know, I think, unfortunately, that's where we're going to have to leave it. But thanks to Craig and uh, to our listeners until next week, same time, same place. Thanks, Mo. Thanks, Craig. It's always such a pleasure having you on the show. And you know, for our listeners who are interested in the unicorn portfolio, something I'm invested in as well, go to investinunicorns.com, check it out, and reach out to the team. You know, they are super friendly, lovely guys. They're always happy to chat 
Uh, they're very passionate about what they do. So yeah, as a place to invest, it's interesting. Obviously, this is not advice. Go and do your own research. Uh, but from a global perspective, it's an interesting growth portfolio, not just tech, as we've now fully unpacked on this show. So Craig, thanks for your time. And uh, we, as always, look forward to our next one with you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future. Invest in growth. Visit investingunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn Portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.